Well, as I mentioned, we are going to continue our sermon series, Hey Neighbor, uh, looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan, realizing how Jesus has shown us compassion and how we get to show compassion to others. Now, before we go into our sermon, we're going to have our Hey Neighbor moment, and we've been doing these uh, the past couple weeks, and this is an opportunity to uh, highlight and tell you about a ministry going on at St. Luke, and we have Linda Tim, who's going to tell you about the Coat Bank Ministry. Thank you, Pastor. Good morning. I've been asked to talk about the Coat Bank, but I have to do some thank yous first. Um, Mr. Stephen um, Wickens, who donated the um, distribution site and has the shop town for two years, the past two years, um, after we moved from the basement. He just donated that space, which was awesome. Um, uh, to the members who volunteered their time and talents um, throughout the years, uh, this has been going on I think this is our eighth year, so um, we just appreciate that people can step up and help us um, get the coats out to people that need them. And then also, we couldn't give out coats unless we had people donating them, purchasing and donating and, um, gloves, the hats, some knit, the hats and scarves, that, that's awesome and we appreciate it. Um, and I also know of a couple people that have spent a lot of their summer doing um, garage sales for coats and that's great. That's a wonderful way to uh, purchase a gently used coat. So because of your generosity and efforts over these past seven years, um, we've helped keep over 6,000 men, women, and children um, warm in Hazlitt and the surrounding areas. Um, so you can be really proud of that. We could not have accomplished um, that without your assistance and, of course, the Lord's guidance. This year, there's going to be a few changes um, <clears throat> with the Coat Bank. In the past, we've had collection sites on a special one-day event. <clears throat> We're going to... Um, ask uh, for your help to get the word out, the Hey Neighbor campaign, um, as Pastor just spoke about. We have these handy-dandy cards, um, postcards, should be hopefully out on the table. Um, we're asking like uh, everyone to take 10 to 12 of these cards, and there's a place for your name and address, and you attend St. Luke Church, just telling people what we're doing and how they can be involved and help out. Um, they can either call you with the coat donation or they can just take it to church. It, it says that. So if you don't feel like putting your um, address there, that's okay. They can get it to church. And it's also year-round. Maybe when you do give these out, please let them know because we go through our supply um, quite quickly, actually. Um, so we're constantly needing new donated items. Um, so with your help, we can get the word out. Um, and this year, the Coat Bank, um, our big news, is going to be um, relocated to Christ Campus. And we're really excited about that because we're going to have a nice space and leave things set up. But it also means a lot of setup um, before the first Coat Bank, which is uh, October 14th, Saturday. And then um, 11 uh, after that. So um, I'm asking if you have any time at all um, to come see me, call me. We're, we need to get coats out on the floor. I believe it's going to be in the basement where we're going to be um, there. And we just need to get the racks out. We need to go through the um, bags of coats that have been donated and just tag them, men's large, women's small, and get them in the right place on the racks and then get, the, of course, the gloves and boots and all that out on the floor, set up. So um, I'm a little gimpy right now, so for the next, I don't know when, how long, but we could really use just help setting up, getting, like I said, getting down there um, 
to Christ campus and getting things set up. So if you have this coming up week, we have, I think, three weeks before we actually have our first distribution. So if you have some time, I would greatly appreciate some help. Um, of course, we always need volunteers for the um, distribution dates. We've never had any trouble in the past, and I appreciate that. Um, there's a sign-up sheet out on the table where you can sign up. If you have any questions, you can find myself, uh, Cindy Leffert, or Joy DeBoer, okay? Um, or if you want to help, that'd be good too. Um, I also have a favor um, to anyone working in the schools. Um, that if you could get this paper, it's the schedule, but um, it's important because it has the dates that we're open um, to give out coats. Give it to your counselors or um, uh, social workers, that'd be great. We try to get, you know, to all the schools and let them know what's going on, but um, it always seems like we miss somebody somewhere. So if, if you um, have any access to schools or that, um, take that with you and, and distribute would be great. Uh, I think that's about all. So in closing, um, if you've never participated in a, in a distribution in the past, um, it's busy, a little crazy, um, very humbling, but really, really uplifting. Um, you know, when you see somebody coming in, their winter coat is a hoodie, um, and they actually find a, a warm coat that's just, that's really um, what we're all about. Um, there's youth that come in, teenagers, you know, they're too cool to wear a coat, but usually they come away with something that we've got on the racks. Um, and then the children, you know, they, they come in and they get a coat and they won't take it off and they clutch their little um, hats and gloves and they're just really tickled, you know, um, happy to have that, that, that coat. And that's, that's what it's all about. It's, it's a really cool thing. And, um, and you also know that God's at work right there and then. All right. So um, that's all I have. Have a great day. Great. Thank you, Linda. <clears throat> 6,000 coats in the last six or seven years. 6,000 people who've had their lives transformed by going from not having a coat to having that, that tangible gift of love and compassion. So that's a great ministry. And we're going to be hearing more about uh, how we can do that coat drive and how we can use that to get to know our neighbors. Now what I want to do as I start this sermon is I'm going to tell you some jokes from around the world. All right? And I want you to figure out whether or not you think they are funny. Here's one from Germany. How do you turn a Trabant into a sports car? Put sneakers in the glove box. No? Crickets? All right. Here's one from Bulgaria. A man from Gabrovo has to mend his door, so he sends his son to his neighbor's house to borrow a hatchet. The child returns empty-handed. The neighbor lied about not having a hatchet. Don't worry about it, says the father. Go down to the basement and grab our hatchet. No? <laughs> Still not funny? I think that one's so bad, it's kind of funny, right? Yeah. All right, here's one more. This one I think is actually kind of funny. It's from Kenya. Your family is so foolish, you give your chickens hot water so they can lay boiled eggs. <laughs> All right, well, 33%. One of them landed, right? <laughs> now, why are those jokes not very funny? Well, because they're from a different culture. 
Uh, we don't understand the nuances. We don't understand the, the complexities of that culture. And so, therefore, the jokes don't make sense. Uh, that first one from Germany, apparently a Trabant, was an East German car, and they were notoriously underpowered. So in order to turn a Trabant into a sports car, you'd have to put some athletic shoes in the car with you, some sneakers. The one from Bulgaria, I guess people from Gabrovo have a reputation for being thrifty and cheap. So the man lied about not having a hatchet, went to go borrow his neighbors, and the neighbor was being thrifty and cheap, and he lied about not having a hatchet too. The one from Kenya, I think we kind of get it, right? That's a foolish thing to do. Well, these jokes illustrate something about the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, just like those jokes, if we don't understand the complexity and the, the nuances of the culture in which Jesus was speaking, if we don't understand that, we're not going to get this parable. Uh, we need to understand that culture before this parable lands, uh, before we can understand what it meant to the hearers, but also what it means to you and me today. Uh, this parable, we've been looking at it the past couple weeks, uh, Luke chapter 10, and the punchline, the punchline hits right here at verse 33. This is the punchline of the parable. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. Uh, two words in that verse. Two words that if we don't understand those words, we don't get the punchline to this parable. We don't understand it. Uh, those two words are Samaritan and compassion. We have to understand those words and what they mean before we can make sense of this. Uh, that first word, Samaritan, I'm sure you've heard it. You've probably heard it in a sermon. You've heard it doing Bible reading. You've heard of Samaritans uh, maybe in a Bible study. Uh, we hear about Samaritans way back in the Old Testament. Uh, Israelite people, Jewish people, uh, were living in the region of Samaria. Uh, we hear about that in 1 Kings. Jewish people living in Samaria. 2 Kings, however, tells us that the king of Assyria conquered that land, conquered that area, and, and displaced all those Jewish people living in Samaria. Uh, he hauled them off to captivity, and then in return, the king of Assyria put foreigners in Samaria. Uh, people from Babylon, people from the surrounding countries, he, he relocated to that place. Uh, further on in 2 Kings, we hear more about Samaria and Samaritans. This is chapter 17. The king of Assyria commanded, send there one of the priests whom you carried away from there, let him go and dwell there and teach them the law of the God of the land. So he takes one of the priests that he had displaced from Samaria, calls the priest back and tells the priest to teach the people. Teach them the Torah, teach them God's word, teach them about Yahweh, teach them about God. So the priest does that. The priest came and lived in Bethel, taught them how they should fear the Lord. So here's the point. Here's the point. In the New Testament, Samaritans were not well-liked at all because they were not ethnically or racially Jewish. Because remember, they had been hauled away and other people had come to that place, but they believed the same things the Jewish people believed. They worshipped the same God. They, they were uh, very similar in their beliefs. 
And the Jewish people in the time of Jesus looked at Samaritans as outcasts, as people who were not uh, pure, as people who were, were, were outsiders, people who were not worthy of respect or love or fair treatment. Our, our gospel reading today captures this nicely. And the gospel reading, the version we heard today, verse 33 says this, but a despised Samaritan came along. So that's the first thing we need to know. Samaritans, outsiders, outcasts, not respected by the Jewish people. The second word that we need to understand for this parable, compassion. Compassion. And I'm sure you are familiar with that word. That's a word that we often use in daily conversation, part of our discourse, compassion. But I'm not sure we fully understand what it means to have compassion. You see, that word comes to us by way of Latin. The word compassion is composed of two Latin words, a prefix, cum, which means with, and the root word, passio, which means suffer. So compassion means that we are suffering with somebody. So for you to have compassion on somebody, you can't do that from a distance. But for you to have compassion means that you have to suffer with that person. If someone is in pain, having compassion on them means that you feel their pain in a real way. If someone's rejoicing, to have compassion on them means that you are rejoicing celebrating with them in their good time. Compassion is suffering with in a real, meaningful, authentic way. Now, based on these two words, understanding what they mean, we go back to this parable, and we can see how those first two men did not have compassion on this man in the gutter, beat up, left for dead. Those first two men did not show him compassion. They didn't suffer with him. Uh, Verse 31, we hear this. By chance, a Jewish priest came along. When he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. Clearly not compassion. Clearly not a willingness to suffer with this man or feel his pain in any real way, right? Now, why does this man uh, see him and go way out of his way to avoid him. Why? Is he a jerk? Just a mean-hearted guy? Perhaps. But there might be another reason. Uh, We're told that he's a priest, right? And we know that the priests had to follow certain rules about cleanliness. As part of their service in the temple, they had to follow the rules from Leviticus about what was clean and unclean. Uh, One of those cleanliness rules entailed not touching a dead body. That would make you unclean. So this man walking by the road, if he sees this man, he may not be sure, is he half dead or fully dead? If he were to come in contact with him, he'd become unclean. Uh, The same is true for the other man. Verse 32, we hear a Jewish temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but then went on. If either of these two men were to have compassion on this man, they would have run the risk of becoming unclean. What would that mean? Their day would have been altered. Their week would have been altered. Their work would have been altered. Their schedule would have changed on account of this man. 
If they were walking by and they engaged him, they would have had to find some other plan for their service in the temple. They would have had to have gone through the process of becoming clean again. The point is this, for them to help this man, it would have impacted them in a real way. They would have had to have some skin in the game to have this compassion. The man's pain would have been their pain. And that's why this punchline is so powerful. When we get to verse 33, not the priest, not the Levite, but the Samaritan, he has compassion. The unlikely one, the one that nobody would expect, he's the one who stops and suffers with this man. He stops and he, he, he changes his plan, his course, his schedule, his everything to help the man out. He picks him up, puts him on his animal as he what? Walks alongside, suffering dusty roads, extreme heat. He takes him to the inn and he gives up his time and his effort to care for this man. He puts down his money to care for the man. He, he, he puts down his reputation and his name saying, if there's anything else, charge it to my account. This man shows real compassion a willingness to hurt with a hurting man, a willingness to suffer with someone who is suffering. But here's the best part, friends, the best part. This is not just some story. This isn't just some cute illustration that Jesus gives, but this is the gospel. This is good news to you and to me because Jesus is our good Samaritan. He's seen it all. Jesus has seen our sin. He's seen our suffering. He's seen our pain and our hurt. He's seen that public self that we show the world, and he's seen that private self that we don't show anybody. He's seen all of it. And what has he done? Has he seen you and said, I'm not touching that. I'm going the other way. Has he seen you and, and poked you with a stick? Are you dead? Like the second man? No. What has Jesus done? He's come near to you. He's scooped you up, and he has willingly suffered for you and with you, carrying you to safety, carrying you to healing, putting down everything he had to give you healing and life, paying the price. And we see the compassion of Jesus most boldly on the cross, suffering for you, suffering with you, though he knew no sin, having sin put on him, though he deserved no death, taking death upon himself for you and for me. That is our good Samaritan. That is true compassion. And then Jesus tells us, as people who know him, as people who've been healed by his love and compassion, he tells us, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. And as I think about how we can do that, how can we, people of the Good Samaritan, how can we go and do likewise? There's two ways we can do that. Two ways, as I wrap up this sermon, two ways that we can do likewise. Uh, the first way, we can practice indiscriminate neighboring. Indiscriminate neighboring. Uh, in Jesus, we see a willingness to traverse boundaries. Jesus, though he was sinless, became friend of sinners, 
tax collectors, prostitutes, broken people that nobody else would touch. Jesus engages them. We see Jesus engaging Samaritans, lepers, outcasts, indiscriminate compassion. That's what we see in Jesus. And we get to do the same thing. As people of the Good Samaritan, our neighboring, our mercy, our compassion for the people around us transcends racial boundaries, ethnic boundaries, uh, boundaries of, of socioeconomic standing, class, education. The second thing, we get to show compassion. Not, not platitudinal, nice words, but true compassion. Because that's what Jesus has done for us. He suffered with us. And so as neighbors, we show compassion. We suffer with our neighbor. Not just saying nice words to them, but true, genuine, authentic suffering with the people around us and rejoicing with the people around us as they rejoice, letting their hurt and their happiness become our hurt and our happiness. But as I think about this, the only way that we can show that compassion, the only way we can do that is if we know our neighbors. If we know our neighbors. And and I want to leave you with this image. Uh, This image here is from Google Maps. It's actually an aerial view of my house. (laughs) And as I was preparing this sermon, thinking about what does it mean to show compassion? What does it mean to know our neighbors? I was thinking, what do my neighbors do I know? Which, Which ones of them do I know well, kind of? And not well at all. Oh, those green arrows are, are neighbors that we know really well. We are uh, engaged in their life in real and meaningful ways. We know about them. We know their stories. Uh, we've had uh, authentic life together. We've actually had opportunities to tell them about Jesus. Some of those other arrows, they're hard to see, but the yellow ones, those are neighbors that we kind of know. We know their name. We know what they do. We know their children. But generally, when we talk to them, we talk about the weather or how the Spartans did. And those red arrows, neighbors that we barely know, we know their name, and then we just wave at them. And I'm guessing the same is true for you. As you think about the people that that you live around, you probably know a few of them very well. Hopefully you've had an opportunity to show compassion to them and and tell them about Jesus, but some of them you probably don't know at all. So as we heard about in that coat collection, this is an opportunity for us to engage our neighbors to, to knock on some doors and get to know a name and to start that conversation of getting to know them so that we can actually show them compassion. Because here's the deal. Here's the deal. We show compassion because we have been shown compassion by Jesus, our good Samaritan who has healed us, who's given us life. This is most certainly true. Now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.